This morning's reading is Genesis 32, verses 16 to 30, and verses 20 to 30, and can be found on page 35 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for these are on the screen. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said... I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Continuing on page 36, verse 20. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought... I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Sue, for reading that. Uh, uh, We're going to take a look at it, so do keep your Bible open if you would. Uh, I'll pray. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll start. Heavenly Father, just sung those words, um, this is amazing grace, and I pray that we would see more of your character, who you are, your extraordinary ability to work 
in, in people's lives, uh, in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, nice to be uh, with you, as always, this morning. Um, we are, uh, where are we? In this series um, in Genesis. Um, do you know that moment on a plane where um, the captain will sort of start talking over the uh, voice thing and... Um, uh, and we'll say, uh, we'll, you know, we're, we're now cruising at this level and we'll, we'll shortly be uh, making our, beginning our descent. We fly lots from Northern Ireland to, um, to Manchester. Some, normally, he says, you know, we're, we're over the Isle of Man. And we'll shortly be making our descent, uh, kind of over Liverpool and on our way down. Um, that's kind of where we are here. I want to help us um, sort of start to bring into land this series that we've been through. I hope um, it has been useful to you, this term, this a series we've called God's Promises Unfolding in the Mess. We're going to look today at this um, preparation of Jacob before he meets Esau. Next week, uh, we have an all-age service. Uh, Manny and Joe will be uh, taking us through um, the, the, the meeting of Esau and Jacob. Um, and then the week after Remembrance Sunday, we're going to kind of come into land, so to speak. Um, and the, the difficult story of what happens to the daughter of uh, of, of Jacob and the conflict that ensues around that um, and the mess that continues. Uh, so we're gonna, this is where we are. And at this point in the story, we are, the captain is, is sort of telling us, we are starting our descent, okay? And the story as it unfolds, um, we have been saying, uh, or I've been saying, God's promises unfold in the mess, and we've looked at what that might mean. And that really does mean facing up to the mess, it turns out. Uh, this story, this part of the story, hopefully I'll explain. I'll show you where we're going. Um, these are the, our headings. This is what we're going to look, to, look at, uh, these, this uh, section. Uh, facing up to the mess, uh, being brought to face who you are in the mess, and then given a new future um, through the mess. That's where we're going um, through this um, this story, the, the, there are kind of two parts to it. You probably saw there's this um, early part where um, Jacob is getting worried about meeting Esau. Then there's the story which is perhaps better known, the, um, the wrestling with God. And they are, they are two parts of this story. Um, and it's worth just holding that in our minds. And so that's what I'll do. I'll take us through both of those and see how they relate to one another. Um, and in lots of ways, as we go into the first part of this, facing up to the mess, what, it, what, what Jacob is facing... He has gone from the frying pan into the fire, which is a, uh, a phrase that, um, uh, perhaps a British phrase, maybe, I don't know. Going from the frying pan into the fire. Last week, you know where we left him? He had just got out of the, the clutches of Laban, and it had taken him some way uh, to, to, to get out and to be freed from that. Getting free from Laban, uh, he then immediately runs into Esau. Um, now, why should that matter? The message that he gets in verse 6, he knows he's on his way back. He knows he's going to face his brother, Esau. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. 400 men, it's the standard number for a sort of militia group. So he's on his way back. He's just got out of the clutches of this mafia boss, Laban, and he is making his way back to his homeland, and he hears the message that Esau is coming and all his best fighting men are on their way. And his response is one of fear and distress. In verse 7, in fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and camels as well. And he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may still escape. What is he um, 
the reality of this fear and distress is just worth taking on board. This is 20 years since he left. Um, you remember that he's, he's had all that time, uh, he's got married, he's had children, there was 14 years of that, and then there was six years trying to get out from under Laban. This is 20 years since he left, when he left having stolen his brother's birthright, having kind of blown the family apart, and he's lived away for 20 years, and now it is coming back to him. And Esau is coming. And you can imagine what is in his mind. He has had 20 years of this on his conscience. How much has he, you know, lain awake at night thinking, I wonder what Esau is doing. I wonder what Esau makes of me. Um, He divides his camp up into two. Um, You know, I'm told, I don't know if this is true or not, the royal family, you know, um, they're all in the news at the moment, aren't they? Um, If if ever they travel, you, you hear that they sort of put one person on one plane and one on another. Um, just for security, so that if, uh, if anything were to happen to somebody, then the other one might survive. That's what, he, that's what Jacob is doing. Uh, he's, got a lot of, he's got a lot of family, he's got a lot of wealth now, so let's divide them up. Or occasionally, do you ever go on holiday and you put, uh, you know, I'll put some, some money in one suitcase and I'll keep some in my hand luggage, and then if my bags get lost at the airport, I've still got some, and, you know, whatever it might be. That's what he's doing. He's dividing up his camps to protect them. Uh, he wants to make sure they are um, potentially um, safe, and then two things happen. So there's just two, two quick things that he does here which tell us what is going on. And the first is this prayer. If I said to you, who prays the longest prayer in the book of Genesis, who would you have thought it might have been? And if I said it is Jacob here, is that a surprise? Of all the people, would it be, would you expect it to be Abraham? Or maybe even Joseph, good old Joseph at the end. Who prays the longest prayer in Genesis? Jacob. Here. These words. The longest prayer. Um, It's actually an extraordinary prayer. And you think about Jacob, the mess of a character that he is. He prays, Oh God, my father, uh, of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy. Of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant, I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan. Now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, for I'm afraid he's going to come and attack me and the mothers and their children. And you've said, I will surely make you prosper. Uh, And like the descendants, like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Amen. And he's he's praying this extraordinary prayer, uh, this um, extraordinary character of Jacob, and what he says, he said, look, God, you said to me that I've got to go back home. I'm completely unworthy of all that you've done for me. And he said, when I, when I left 20 years ago, I left and I just had my staff and things were easier and it was just me and I was in my 20s and life was open and all that sort of stuff. And now look what I've got. I've got all this uh, wealth and I've got these people. You need to save me, Lord, because my brother is coming and I'm afraid he's going to attack me. And notice, and the mothers and the children. How much more complicated is life now for Jacob? It's the mothers and the children, Lord, I'm worried about. I've done some stuff along the way. Things have happened. Life is complicated now. And I'm crying out to you, Lord. And what he is doing is he is being brought to face the reality uh, of his past. And he is... is humbly throwing himself on God's mercy. I'm unworthy, Lord. Save me. It's an extraordinary prayer. And then alongside the prayer comes the gifts. 
that he has. So um, we didn't read the details, but he selects a gift. What he does, um, it's in verses 14 uh, onwards, um, he gets some goats, uh, male and female goats, male and female camels, male and female cows and bulls, um, uh, donkeys, um, and he kind of says to them, uh, to his servants, right? What I want you to do is kind of collect up each herd, and we'll have uh, um, we'll have all the goats here, and then you know put a bit of space between you, and then the next herd, and, and we'll have the camels, and then a bit of space, you know, a couple of miles, and then we'll have the uh, uh, the, the donkeys, and we'll have and, and so on. And he wants to spread them all out. And why is that? Because he's saying when you when you meet Easter, I want Easter to kind of you'll, you'll come to Easter, and Easter will say, "Oh, who are you, and, and where are these from?" And you say, "These are from your servant Jacob." Uh, and then you'll carry on, and then another couple of miles, and then you'll meet another flock, and these are from your servant Jacob. Uh, and then the next flock, and these are from your, certain ja- your servant Jacob. And I don't, have you ever been given so many gifts it's vaguely awkward? <laughs> and Esau's like, but I didn't get you anything. <laughs> but he's try- what Jacob is doing, Jacob is saying, it's extraordinary to hear it, I'm your servant, Esau, I'm your servant. Now, this is the man who stole the birthright, who clutched at the family, who wanted to take priority, and he says, I'm your servant. And Jacob is being brought to face the reality of the consequences of the past, the reality of what he did, uh, the reality of all of its complexity since then. And he is, he, is, he is facing up to the mess. He is being brought to do that. And he's placing himself in this position. And when he says, have a look at verse 20, um, he says, uh, I'll pacify, hopefully, he thinks, he tells us what he's thinking, um, I will pacify Esau with these gifts. Um, I talked about this a little bit last time about the idea of face um, and, uh, and what he's actually saying when he says I'll pacify him is that I will, I will cover Esau's face. In, in a sense, what he's saying is I will, I will wipe from his face the anger that he has. Hopefully these gifts will wipe away the anger he may face, he may feel. It will cover his face. And when he says, and then hopefully he will receive me, perhaps he will receive me, he's saying that Esau will lift up my face. Hopefully Esau is going to lift up my face. He is being humbled by the Lord. Um, and that is what is going on. And he has been uh, brought uh, to, uh, to that point. And then what unfolds is this particularly kind of strange evening where, uh, uh, where we see him wrestle with God. That night, verse 22, Jacob got up and took his two wives, uh, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So they go on, and he sent them across the stream, and Jacob is left alone in verse 24. Um, And a man comes and wrestles with him till daybreak. Alone. The the way the the story is shaped, he's divided his camps, he then sends them on ahead, and then it is just Jacob. It is just Jacob, and this mysterious figure arrives uh, to wrestle with him. And uh, it's kind of a... It's a strange episode, uh, isn't it? It's a strange episode. What, this mystery figure, and they kind of wrestle, and they're very even in their wrestling. They're, um, uh, this is not an actual uh, picture. Um, they, they re- they're kind of evenly matched. Um, a man wrestled with him till daybreak when the man saw that he could not overpower him. Now, we know, uh, as we see later on, that this is God coming to him. And in some sense, God... 
uh, accommodates himself to make them evenly matched. And they tussle and they struggle. Um, and Jacob has clearly got some strength in him. But it's as though he's almost like a kind of superhero character um, that is just holding back his power. God is like a kind of superhero pa- character. He's just holding back his power. And there comes this moment where having wrestled, he just then sort of, I don't know, with a kind of, uh, just immediately unleashes something uh, that just rests his um, hip from its socket uh, and kind of injures him. Fate, oh, not fatally, but injures him uh, that he won't recover from this. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched um, as he wrestled with the man. Uh, and the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And there's this strange tussle where Jacob just holds on to him and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then we get down to this kind of center of this, what I think is going on in this um, episode. The man asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Now, your name is your character. Your name is who you are. And as we know, I've spoken about this before, Jacob uh, is, uh, it, it means a wrestler, a struggler, a battler. Uh, he came out of the womb grasping. Do you remember? He's, he's a grasp, he's a wrestler. And the man says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And God is breaking him down. He kind of gets him alone, and he's kind of breaking him down. And it is about who Jacob is in this mess, and, and God is bringing him to face who he is. What is your name? It is Jacob. Who are you really, Jacob, in the mess that you have made? Here you are. You're, you're processing 20 years uh, of carrying this. You're about to face Esau. You know you are in a panic. Who are you really? in the middle of this. I've done this to, to get you to see who you are, this wrestler in the mess that you've made. And from that moment comes the, the changing and the reshaping of Jacob. What happens? The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Uh, Jacob says, please tell me your name. He won't, he won't do it. Why do you ask my name? Uh, I sense that's because he's God. He's, he, he can't do that. Then he blesses him there. And Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel. You are a struggler, Jacob, but I'm going to make you into something new. Uh, this is a really important moment for God's people's history, if you think about it. This is, we, we know God's people as Israel. We call them uh, Israel. This is where they are named as that people. So if you were, and I, we've, we've, I've said this before in, in some ways, if you imagine being a young uh, a Jewish boy or girl and you might have said to your mummy or daddy, you might have said, oh, mummy, tell me, you know, why is it we're called Israel? Will you tell me the story of why we're called Israel? And they would have then explained this story. Uh, a mum or a dad might have explained, well, it was to do with Jacob. Jacob was this wrestler and he was given this new name. And this is who he was. And this is how God is forming his people. 
And in some ways, this is just as humbling as everything that's come before, because what it means is accepting uh, that God has a new future for him. It means accepting kind of who he has been and where God is now taking him. Um, when we, uh, we, you might remember we looked at this passage with the uh, BBC Sunday Worship, and I drew parallels with the prodigal son. And this is like his moment in the pig trough, where he comes to accept the mess that he's made, he comes to accept who he is in that, and he comes to face a new future that God might be offering him if he puts himself on the path back. And as, you, as we look at this, and as we've worked our way through with Jacob, I wonder if you can see that this is about how God is forming his people. And that this is about how he works in doing this. So he brings uh, Jacob to face the reality of his past, the very real consequences of what he's done. Uh, he brings him to face who he is uh, and what his character is like. And then he begins to reshape it. But it takes all of those stages. He, he begins to reshape who he is. And he takes people who are a mess and whose characters are flawed. And what he doesn't do is then eradicate that and sort of wipe that entirely away. I think sometimes we might think that's what God does. If, if I could get close to God, what he'd want to do is completely do away with me and start again. He actually takes people as they are. He takes them in the mess that they are and then begins to rechannel and reshape who they are and form and reshape a people out of them. Um, there is this moment in the, in the story where a sunrise begins to follow. It just comes in verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed through and he was limping because of his hip. So the, 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 the breaking of Jacob, the, the hip uh, uh, injury, doesn't ever go away. But God is reshaping who he is from that point on. He gives him a new sunrise, if you like. So as we get to this point, the thing I want us to be clear about, the message of this passage isn't so go and you've got to go and face your past. You've got to go and face uh, uh, the, the consequences of all that you've done. And some of you might be going, oh, phew, that's great. In some ways, it's slightly worse than that. This is what God does. This is how God works. He brings people to this point. We may actually not want him to do that. I think for a moment about... Uh, Jesus in the New Testament. Think about what happens to those who encounter Jesus in the New Testament. Um, think about the woman at the well. Uh, think about Zacchaeus. Uh, think about uh, someone like uh, the woman caught in adultery. Um, or think about Saul, who later becomes Paul. God does this with each of those people. He brings them to a point where they face the, the mess, the complexity of their life. He brings them to a point where they face who they are in that mess. But with all of them, he also brings them the possibility of a new future through that mess. And you see it time and time again. I, actually, I don't think there's anybody, really, who doesn't uh, become a believer without God doing this uh, in and through them and to them. In some ways, it's the essence of repenting 
and believing is that we are brought to a point where we face the mess of our own lives, we face who we are, and we're given a new future. This is about how God works uh, and what he does. And if you're not a Christian here um, this morning, I guess what I want to say to you is this is the God that you are looking into. Don't be under any illusions about that. This is how he works. This is what he does. And if you're a Christian this morning, so this is his ongoing work. His ongoing work. This is, this is what he does in you and me. We don't just sort of start at that point and then he leaves us. The ongoing life of, of repenting and believing. This is how he works in us. He brings us uh, to face this more and more uh, as we go through our lives. And always what he offers is a new dawn. It's the possibility of reshaping who we are. He doesn't wipe away your or my character. He takes who we are and he rechannels and he reshapes it. He takes Jacob, the struggler, the wrestler, the battler, and he says, I'm going to make you a wrestler with God. I'm going to make you a wrestler with me. I'm going to, I'm going to reorient your life around me and how I'm working through you. That's the kind of God that we have. It's, it's, it takes some reflection. If you haven't thought of it for a while, I, can I encourage you this week? Reflect on how God works in and through the mess of, of your and my lives, what he does uh, for us and in us. And you imagine as Jacob went on his way, now limping, that he could testify, I have been made new by God. I've been given a new path by God. Life will never be the same again. God's promises, his ability, his, the way he works, really does unfold through the mess of Jacob's life, doesn't it? Why don't we pray together? Gracious Father, we pray. And we, we see you at work. We see how you work uh, through your words. And Lord, in our own lives, many of us would testify to the way in which you, uh, you bring us to these points. Lord, I pray that we would marvel in your ability to do that. Uh, you're a God who doesn't uh, leave us on our own, but begins to, to work in and through us and offers a new future. Lord, I pray for any of us who don't know that or have forgotten that or need reminding uh, that we would reflect on your ability to do that in Jacob. Of all people, uh, you brought him to this point. And Lord, would we be renewed in our confidence uh, that you can do it in and through us as your people, we pray. Amen.